0: right welcome to the weekly acg new york podcast delighted to have you listening to us today acg of course is the largest and most influential committee-steered member-based network for the global middle market private equity private capital community and the network focuses on, on focuses in on promoting best practice knowledge and intelligence for capital providers industry executives and those that service them whilst providing a platform for concierge networking, deal-making, and fundraising. And the ACG New York Weekly Podcast invites members, guests, and our partners to discuss key themes and topic points in the world of global middle-market private equity. And today we have with us David Owen, partner at Cahill, Gordon, and Dell. David, how are you today, sir?
1: Excellent, excellent. I'm very good. Thank you for having me back.
0: No, it's... Great to have you with us. Um, I must ask, you know, we're all going through a woe right now. Um, one subject looming large all over, over all of our heads, but that, that's obviously COVID 19. How, how are you faring? You know, how has it been? Yeah,
1: made? it's been a challenge for everybody, certainly uh, uh, not least me, although we have the fortunate uh, ability to decamp from the city. Uh, We've uh, uh, gone upstate New York, uh, so at least our license places are still uh, reflecting the state that uh, we are from, Uh, but uh, we feel very far away from any virus, and uh, I got a two-schoolhouse family, uh, so I got kids in different rooms going to class, and uh, 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 the wife is making sure they're staying on task, and uh, uh, we are managing uh, as well as we can, and certainly uh, not a lot to complain about in the range of things.
0: And what's your setup been like? I see you, you're in a nice room there. Are you? Was it the same setup as before? Have you morphed it into something else for these times?
1: Yes. Well, this has now become you know my new office, and uh, uh, it seems to be uh, 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 that it will continue to be that for at least the foreseeable future. Uh, it's, yeah. it's actually very comfortable. Uh, you know, we uh, as a law firm, I think we're we're ahead on the uh, uh, remote work uh, uh, just by the nature of the uh, practice. And so it hasn't been that much of a challenge to uh, uh, transition into this uh, uh, remote setup we have, which is quite far away from, uh, you know, the the city and uh, Wall Street. uh, But uh, nevertheless, uh, fully connected and really fully able to do just about everything I need to do.
0: Yeah. Well, David, remote working and us being away from our offices is um, pertaining to a large part of what we're going to talk about today. Now, I know you sit within a number of practices at Cahill, one of which is cyber and information security and i thought sir we could we could discuss just that certainly in new york mm-hmm. in the city where we both usually work it's been what now 5 weeks of remote working for all of us
1: yes indeed
0: and that's been extended to may 15th
1: mhm just and, yesterday
0: yeah and indeed the isolation period has been extended in most parts of the world where the where the virus persists and the whole process for organizations and individuals has been Quite a shock to the system, and with that, David, we've we've all heard about a number of oh gosh um, ransomware attacks, opportunistic phishing threats, and other malicious activities, all becoming more common threats to to organisations worldwide. So, if, if you're yeah. happy to, sir, we can we can talk about all those things. I know in intelligence agencies, security firms, uh, big tech giants are all ringing our alarm bells over the growing threat from from cyber criminals in the wake of of this pandemic but before we go into that david i thought we could we could learn a little bit about yourself your firm your remit within cahill more about you please sir
1: absolutely well i am the uh, the head of the cyber information security and privacy practice at cahill yeah um and in that role uh, uh we advise uh, companies on uh compliance Privacy, security, uh, regulatory uh, regulatory uh, uh, reviews, and those kinds of things, as well as uh, uh, providing advice and uh, thoughts to investors who are looking to consider evaluate cyber risks in their investments. Um, and uh, you know, given the leverage finance practice at Cahill, which is very strong, we participate in a great many deals, and uh, it, it, that vantage point is particularly useful. For benchmarking uh, across industries to see, you know, it, it, what you know, five or six companies in healthcare are doing over the course of six months, uh, I think gives you a, a very good insight into, uh, uh, you know, what a broader base of, of folks are thinking and doing, and, and being able to pollinate from one uh, uh, platform to another, ideas that have worked uh, for one company and things that have not worked so well. Yeah. Um, so that, that is that is the core of our practice. Uh, my my background is, is a technical one. I was a software designer programmer before I went to law school and uh uh, uh although I spent a lot of my early years in litigation, uh, I was always the technical person and as uh, you know this practice area has grown and developed into, into really a significant area, a significant concern for a lot of people. Um it just has, you know, taken over
0: most of my time. Yeah. So you uh, you're what we would call a renaissance man, David, you know, both sides of your brain are working. I've I've got to ask, you know, we've all heard about various companies being infiltrated and um, being attacked. Uh, It was happening before, but now more so than ever. Um, But perhaps you would touch on how some of these actors are exploiting COVID-19. I mean, what's their motivation? An intent, what do they aim to derive out of this? maybe it's a rudimentary question maybe yeah I mean
1: well let me start by saying I think this uh, uh, this virus outbreak uh, uh, is really uh, uh, stands to be a potential bonanza for hackers and cyber criminals uh, it really I think has caused a sea change uh, a societal change in the way we interact and the way we transact with each other um, you know it, it used to be particularly in the United States, you know, the, the concept was that you, you closed a deal with a handshake. Um, I, I think handshaking is done. Uh, I don't think anybody's gonna be shaking any hands uh, uh, in the future, but putting aside the loss of the handshake, uh, uh, you don't have any face-to-face interaction. People are sitting in their homes, uh, in uh, uh, various rooms, talking to people on the phone, having video calls, and uh, uh, a lot of the social conventions that we had before any of this happened are gone out the window. And we're doing a lot of things uh, uh not face to face by phone, by email um, and uh, remotely and uh, uh, you know those that kind of an environment is really an ideal one for a cyber criminal to work. In. Uh, it mm-hmm. just uh, uh, it, it offers so many opportunities, uh, both uh, uh you know the technical ones, in the sense that all these companies are now instituting lots of new remote access and making uh, dial-in uh, work available to everybody they can. Uh, so that's a lot of new technical access points that hackers can exploit. And then in the social engineering front, I think people are more willing and, and feel socially obligated to accommodate unexpected, unusual changes, requests for accommodations, and those uh, can frequently be coming from criminals and uh, masquerading as people you know. And because of this incident, and because of the remote work, you're not able to cut through that uh, cleanly. And people are reluctant to uh, say, uh, make, ask embarrassing questions, you know, questions that suggest the person they're talking to is a fraudster. I mean, it's a, it's a rude thing to do in a practical sense, and people don't like to do it. Uh, but uh, uh, the hackers and the criminals know that, and they rely on it, and they exploit it. So it, it would be it'd be hard to imagine. Uh, a better opportunity for a cyber criminal than the one that has happened
0: unbelievable i mean obviously so many examples out there that we've we've heard of, and for the company right now for the organization that's trying to keep a trading mindset and and foster business continuity as as they should, the threat to their cyber oper- operations is 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 evident we're seeing it so all companies are. Reassessing and re-evaluating their cybersecurity options. I've spoken to many an executive that is that is going about doing just that. But um, from a from a bottom up, what what factors must they consider in doing so? There's so much to consider here, but where do they even begin?
1: Um, it's a it's a, a question many people are asking. Um, and obviously, business continuity—that's the real challenge. I mean, unless you're an essential business, uh, uh, in most places in the United States, you're on some kind of lockdown. Um, and that means essentially, if you can't figure out how to do your work remotely, um, you're temporarily out of business. And many businesses are temporarily out of business. And a lot of those are thinking, how is it that I can make my business function, uh, I maintain business continuity, as you said, in this new environment? Uh, that usually involves a lot of new technology installed in an absolutely rushed period of time. Um, And uh, adding new access points is always a challenge and typically it takes Months and months and people do it carefully and meticulously with an eye both towards functionality, but also security Um, Now they're doing it and uh, the focus is almost entirely on functionality Because it's it's an existential threat. I mean there, you know If you can't get your business continuity going there's no business and so security is I think inherently taking a backseat to the more pressing, the more existential threat of business continuity. Um, And I think the real challenge is how to maintain that business continuity in a way that is consistent with the new and dangerous technical uh, uh, and criminal threats from people trying to exploit that sort of
0: thing. Yeah. Well, most companies that you were working with, certainly before this, were they attuned with their with their cyber functionality, were they quite equipped? I know probably the behemoth-sized firms were, but a lot of our listeners are lower middle market, middle market. Now, they are sizable, but not all are cyber-ready, cyber-prepared. Cyber. I
1: think that that's correct, and, and that is a, very much a sweet spot for Cahill's uh, leveraged finance practice those kinds of companies, and the answer is it's a range. And uh, I, I, that's one of the things that, that, that we've learned from having so much perspective across different companies. Some of them are taking it very seriously. Some of them are not taking it that seriously. Um, and uh, uh, some of them are trying to uh, implement uh, you know, new solutions uh, without any of the, the uh, precautions that they would or ordinarily take. Uh,
0: yeah. But they have to. Yeah, well, well, talking of taking things seriously, I mean, that leads on to my next question. So how, how can management and employees take the threat of particularly data security and privacy seriously? We're all having to use personal devices and home networks. So how, how must they be taking this stuff seriously?
1: Well, I, I, I think that I have kind of three elements in my mind uh, on that question. Uh, the first one is, is the, the well-known phrase, tone at the top. Uh, A a company where, uh, uh, you know, the top level, the executives, the CEO uh, and down are are focused on this issue and talking about it to their employees uh, is going to set the right kind of atmosphere uh, for an an organization that that is paying attention to the risks. And and the employees know that if they're going to uh, take steps to maintain security that might otherwise impact other operations, the governance is going to back them up. And that uh, uh, it's, it's okay to do the right thing, even if maybe that's not the most efficient or practical thing in this challenging time. Uh, so starting at the tone of the top, I think is really vital. Um, the second thing I would do is employee training. Uh, employee training is, has always been a key element and something, you know, when we're doing our diligence reviews, we, we look for and we ask for the materials and we ask for how long they do them. Uh, and, you know, those kinds of things have always been important. I think they're more important than ever. Um, You know with all these new folks dialing in um, They haven't thought about these things before the company should be talking about them to them training them um, And uh, I would include as part of training a white hat exercises Uh, a white hat exercise is where a a white hat a a good guy hacker um, Will make attempts to see if they can penetrate the systems. They'll send phony emails. They'll probe vulnerabilities and um, particularly with the phoning emails going out to everybody at the company, it causes people to be on their toes. It makes them think about it. And there will be, uh, at least in my experience, there always is a fair number of people that fail the exercise. Uh, and there's nothing like a failed exercise to really get somebody's attention. It's very embarrassing for them, particularly if they're a senior person. And, and often it's the senior people that, 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 that are the uh, you know the weakest link. On some of these things, because they they, they tend to shoot first and uh, <laughs> not think about what they're doing. Um, so yeah, training and white hat exercises, I think, are key. And, and the third one, I think, is is to protect yourself against a ransomware kind of situation. Mm. Um, you know, having your files, computer systems, uh, uh, public face to the world, uh, locked down by ransomware is a catastrophe, particularly now. Um, and uh, there are. Technical solutions, uh, particularly I, I would focus on on continuous backup uh, Where if you have a continuous backup and all of a sudden you have a problem with your system and you get any a ransom demand from some uh, Hacker in Russia um, You can just restore your systems and the ransom demand is irrelevant um, You know, if you haven't set yourself up to do that, you're weighing well, how long is it gonna take us to solve this problem? What if we just pay the hacker and I, and I will note that actually paying the hacker typically works. Um, you know you, you think well, I'm gonna send them this money and they're gonna do nothing and I'm gonna still be here with nothing um, The answer to that is the hackers pay. It's a, 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 a When you pay the hacker, they uh, they release your materials uh, And they do it on the theory that uh, it's it's a guild of thieves and if the hackers didn't release the stuff Then nobody would pay out. <laughs> Unbelievable! It's almost like a code of uh, criminals to uh, 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 Respond to the ransom demand
0: well, I was going to ask about vendors later on a bit, bit but as I think about it, I'm, I'm I'm assuming these white hacks, legitimate are easy to find. They've got their own shop set up. They're 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 employable. They're relatively easy to find, are they, David?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's a, a it's a wide range of folks, uh, sophisticated, really you know, top of the line technical organizations, and then people that will do more rudimentary kinds of testing penetration testing those kinds of things yeah um uh, you know where where that's really the kind of security that's warranted for what uh, uh, what they protect
0: yeah well i mean there's technical challenges in in all of this and working from home certainly has its challenges well, what are some of the technical challenges that we all face uh, whilst working from home as my phone goes up there there's a technical <laughs> challenge <laughs> You know,
1: I I would like to focus on one scenario which I think is ripe for exploitation in this context, and uh, that's the one that people call a man-in-the-middle. And the the man-in-the-middle attack is uh, usually the result of a breached email box. And the hacker will then have access to and watch over a period of time the way an organization communicates with its uh, uh, business relationships how who the people talk to how regularly they pay how they pay and over time they will look at that and they will develop a feel for the company and they won't do anything right away as long as they're not being detected uh they will continue to review and see what the best point of attack is. now suppose you're a company x and you have a long-standing relationship with vendor y And uh, every month uh, you send a wire transfer to the vendor for, uh, you know, whatever your spend was uh, that month. And there's a guy, Fred, at the vendor. You get an email from Fred and it's it's Fred's style. It talks like him. It rings like Fred. It signs off like Fred because they've been reading Fred's emails for a couple of months. And it says, "Steve, Steve. we ha- due to the COVID-19, we've had to make some changes to our, our financial setup, and we would like you to instead wire uh, this month's payment to this following account. Uh, cheers, because Fred's English.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: And you get that email, and everything seems fine. And you do it, and then a couple days go by, and a couple weeks go by, nobody notices anything, and then you get an email from Fred. You didn't send the money! <laughs> And, and you're like, what do you mean? Uh, you asked me to send it to that other account. And Fred's like, I didn't ask you to do. That. Now the man, that's the man in the middle of attack. And it, ha- it has ha- it's been it, you know, well developed and refined and tweaked for different organizations, particularly by the you know the lead time during the email. Range. Um, but with COVID 19, you can see how the opportunities for that kind of a scam really multiplied like crazy. You know, I mean, you're you're not going to see Fred. You're not going to have lunch with Fred and uh, uh everything that you do now is going to be uh, by email and uh I, when fred says you know accommodate me on this account change it won't look that
0: strange unbelievable so we're, we're we're talking about very sophisticated individuals sophisticated networks of people i'm guessing this unbelievable we've heard about a lot of examples david mm-hmm. um one that have one or two that have really been notable we're both using zoom right now now the ceo of zoom i think you and i both remarked it the other day his net worth went up 120 Indeed, percent yes. percent uh, yeah, the month. right product at the right time um, but they've they've faced a few um a few calamities can you can you maybe just for nuanced purposes go through some of these examples some of the telltale signs that a lot of organizations avoided uh, in their own protections and. Just some of these stories that we're hearing about, I just find them fascinating.
1: Well, I mean, Zoom, Zoom as you say, has been a, a, a very fortunate company in terms of <laughs> the developments of the world. But most people are, are catastrophically impacted. Zoom uh, uh, has just exploded. And it exploded because it works, and it's very easy. Uh, I mean, I I never used it until uh, uh, this incident came up and I've used it a whole lot.
2: Yeah, me too. Um,
1: And we've all read about uh, or or, uh, on some occasions seen these Zoom bombers that will jump onto the screen and show you their belly button or something uh, hilarious like that. Yeah. Um, And uh, a lot of legitimate concerns were raised about Zoom uh, and the security they had uh, for their platform which I think, uh, in fairness for what it was trying to be, not very good, but it wasn't pretending to be very good. And if you look historically at conference line security, it's been, it's terrible. Uh, Conference line security is a place where people just have not paid a lot of attention. There's a lot of interest in uh, sort of phone bombing somebody's conference call. On the other hand, I think when you add the video element of it, uh, it, it, it's an entirely different kind of uh, a thing and and I think people are mostly looking at this for entertainment value more than a security risk. Uh, I, I don't think that you should have a serious and uh, 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 private conversation on a zoom call uh, For all of those reasons on the other hand I also think that most zoom calls are not particularly in need of a high level of security and if you if you don't need security I mean yeah, our conversation here is, is not need to be uh, you know protected from yeah. uh, you. Uh, it's great, and it's a wonderful service. And it's very easy for people to use, but they should think about when they're using it, uh, uh, what are the risks of using this thing? What happens if somebody comes on and listens to all this conversation that I have? Um, and I think that's a risk that they should think about in terms of a lot of things. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about social engineering. The more somebody knows about you, the more it is that they can trick you into doing things that you wouldn't otherwise do. Um, and I frequently will talk to companies about using LinkedIn, um, LinkedIn provides a wealth of information uh, you know all that stuff that Fred is trying to do when uh, 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 when uh, it, where they're trying to hack Fred's company um, you can find out that stuff on LinkedIn um, so I mean you should think about you know what does your public profile look like what kind of information is out there because when people run that information at you it can make them seem like they know you and uh, and now uh, you won't be able to know really for sure whether they do know you or they
0: don't know you. but it's uh, such a fine balance you know you want to put as much good stuff at, at least uh, out, out there about you, mm-hmm. for whatever reason. And but then at the same time, you you have to be wary that it's being picked up by um, well, call them con artists. At some yes, yes. Con,
1: That's the right thing. I, 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 I mean, we talk about these phishing emails, and, and I will say that I think the phishing email is probably the biggest single security risk of uh, the, the crisis, and in general, the biggest cyber security risk. Uh, yeah, the email. Is is a danger to companies large and small?
0: Well, what, what I mean, it, it's apt that you come onto that, David. What, what is a phishing attack? You know, talk to me as though I was a five year old. Yeah, I, well, you talk about an electronic
1: con game. The phishing attack is an electronic con game. Uh, yeah. The come on is an email, and uh, uh, it started out, you know, uh, like like fishermen casting the widest possible net. And it took the form of an email that said, my cousin is a Nigerian prince, and if you provide me the following things, I can then send you $500,000 for some insane thing. And they would send that out to thousands and thousands of email boxes in the hopes that somebody going to buy the, the prince story yeah. and give the uh, information or whatever it was. That is the first fish, I think, the first fishing email. And it has been refined over time, and uh, uh, now you have what they call spear phishing. And you know, to take the metaphor to the next level, you got the guy with the spear, and he's got a particular target in mind, and he is learning what he can about that target. Socially engineering, finding out everything you know, they they release on LinkedIn, on their Facebook pages, uh, you know, whatever it is they have access. The spear is going to package that for a particular person. A particular audience um, and again they 've refined that yet still uh, to go after very, very high value uh, 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 targets, uh, they call that whaling, um, which is nothing uh, Captain Ahab and the harpoon uh, shooting at a particularly large target. I think you know, when you start to get to spear fishing and whaling, the distinctions of the metaphor uh, really collapse because uh, it 's all the same thing it 's all uh, an electronic con game trying to to, to dupe a particular person or particular organization into doing something they wouldn't otherwise do.
0: Unbelievable. So if as a two-pronged attack, as an individual working remotely, how do I bar these phishing attacks? What what can I do very remedially to, to make sure that I'm not infiltrated this way? And what can organizations do on a whole to make sure that they're preventing phishing attacks?
1: Well, the answer is both uh, technical and uh, uh, trained. Um, they're technical uh, tools you can use, uh, uh, phishing filters, things that will block suspicious emails from coming into the company email server, and quarantine them so that they can be looked at and reviewed by the people. Uh, and you know, most people are familiar with these kind of filters. Uh, you know, we have one at Cahill that uh, you know, separates out a pile of stuff, and most of it's garbage. Some of it is, is gross, phishing emails, uh, and uh, every now and then, uh, uh, some of those will actually get through, and it'll be, you know, an email from, you know, purporting to be from a bank, and the, the, the URL will be slightly off, uh, uh, you know, it won't have quite the exact same letters that you would expect, uh, but it looks super close, and, they, and they've, uh, 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 you know, crafted it to look like the bank's email, and to trick the, the uh, filter, uh, they'll send an email that's just an image of the email, I know there's just a picture of the email because the filter is looking to read the words, and if it doesn't see the words, that cause it to say, ah, oh, this is a phishing email. It just sees a picture and it'll let it through. Now, my more sophisticated ones now will optically recognize the characters in the picture so that they can run their filter anyway. Uh, but that's the technical side of things, the, the, the filters that prevent the emails from coming in. Um, the more important side of things, I think, really is the employee training and the tone at the top. Make sure people are tuned into these things, uh, that they're aware of the man-in-the-middle kind of scenario. So that when somebody comes with an unexpected change, uh, they you know their antennas up. You know, when somebody calls them up and says, you know, I'm, I'm Jane from uh, accounting, and Jane's voice sounds funny, uh, I, and she says she has a cold, they listen for something else, they, they see if something else sounds funny. Uh, you know, if you train your people to do those things um, and uh, reinforced it from the top, I think you really have put your best foot forward and have your best chance to uh, uh, you know, not fall victim to those, those attacks.
0: Right, right. And and so having said that, a lot of these attacks are taking place. Um, some actors are getting through. Do you find that firms and individuals within are, are responding to these incidents and, and the disruption well? I mean, what, what must they have... Incident response measures in in place.
1: Yes, yeah, so that's a very good point to raise um, yeah. You know when the incident happens is not the time when you want to be figuring out what it is we should do and You know all the training in the world all the filters in the world may not succeed and in many instances You can point out uh, have did not succeed. So the question is, you know, how can you make yourself ready when that? incident happens should it unfortunately happen and the incident response plan is absolutely vital. Um, it, it, there's, there's really two aspects of the incident response plan. I mean, the one is just the plan, which is say, you know, it, it involves identification, containment, uh, eradication, and recovery are the stages. And they do like what they sound, identifications, find out exactly what's been penetrated, where uh, the systems have been compromised, what's happening. And then you want to contain it, make sure it doesn't spread to anything else. And then you want to eradicate it, and then you want to recover. And then uh, most people have a lessons learned stage in their uh, uh, incident response plan. So those, those really are the elements of the plan. Uh, but it really, uh, the, another way to th- important aspect of it are the teams that are involved. Um, you have to designate people to implement each step of the plan. And uh, you have to have these teams practice the plan and know what to do when it comes up. Um, Typically, the the structure of the thing will include a quarterback, a person who's the incident response manager. And then they'll have a team from the technical folks who are working on eradication, getting rid of the thing, um, and recovering and all that. And then you will have a a legal team that is looking to uh, uh, notify the people that need to be notified. Um, You'll have an HR team that's thinking about what the HR implications are, if any, of the uh, uh, penetration. Um, and you'll have a, a regulatory team, um, and you know each the plan should have a playbook for each of these people, so that each person has their own playbook. They know who they're reporting to, what steps they have to take, and who they have to notify. Cyber insurers is a very important one. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, vendors, uh, you know, if you are a vendor, uh, you know, you may have you know preposterous notification requirements, like you have to notify them within 24 hours. Um, it's very difficult to do all these steps and then also notify the, the right people in 24 hours. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: so those are real challenges, um, and uh, you want to think about them in advance so that you have a developed incident response plan, you've identified the teams. And I would say in the context of this virus environment, I think you should, you should really look at all of those incident response plans. I mean, implementing the plan from all these remote locations is going to be very different from implementing it in an ordinary circumstance mm. and people should go and look and pull it out and say what's my playbook oh well, it looks like step three is gonna be hard because you know I'm at home I don't know where I'm gonna reach this person or you know uh, you know, frequently people are, are suffering outages uh, you know local internet outages I lost somebody for uh, about a day um, and if you can't reach that person you need a fallback person you need an alternative another person to go to so you can implement these plans in the current environment
0: yeah unbelievable. Uh, but you mentioned vendors there. We talked about white hacks before. I don't know about your organization, but ours is being inundated with vendor calls, you know, can we help you here? Can we help you there? Yes. Without naming names. What are what are some of the things that how to go about let me rephrase it. How to go about picking the right vendor? What should you be looking out for when when affiliating with a vendor? What what are some of the things that you should be wary of. You've talked well, about you want other- to
1: make sure that they are established in the particular area that um, uh, you need them to work in. Um, you know, if you're a healthcare company, uh, you, know, you want a vendor that is you know, amply familiar and experienced with HIPAA, which is the regulations that relate to uh, healthcare data, PHI. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, you, want, you want somebody who's familiar with your particular needs that can understand the uh, uh, requirements and regulations that might attach to that. Um, You want somebody who uh, can demonstrate that they have a secure operation and that they have a mature operation People that have been companies have been around for a long time will have developed uh, uh, Security teams that you know newer entities will not necessarily have. Um, I think maturity is is a key element to show uh, uh, That this organization Knows what they're doing and has maintained their operations for a long period of
2: time Um,
1: you can look for uh, a, a Security certifications, you know, ISO and NIST provide standards that relate to uh, cybersecurity and, and even particular elements of cybersecurity within certain kinds of organizations. Uh, you can ask them about those things and uh, yeah. uh, look at what they're, uh, uh, what they have, what they've done, what their teams are, and how they meet those those requirements. Those are those are those are the things that I would uh, be focused on.
0: Well, I hope that most organizations, those that are listening at the, at the helms of their organizations are cyber ready. They have the right vendors and measures in place. But David, I wanted to go into the legality of, of all of this, the stipulations and caveats that are set by whoever it may be. But so what, what cyber security um, compliance and any regulations must must organizations adhere to, particularly at this time, Mm-hmm. And and how important are assessments at this time?
1: Uh, that, well, let me take those separately. Uh, number one uh, uh, It's challenging to figure out exactly which regulators may have an interest in your cybersecurity
2: security
1: mm. um, And which regulatory schemes may apply to you um, You know, for example the GDPR which covers Europe uh, is a very comprehensive set of regulations um, you know, they purport to uh, govern uh, and regulate uh, the treatment of personal data for uh, EU citizens who aren't in the EU So in other words, yep. if you're an EU data subject in Canada uh, Theoretically the EU regulators came claim the right to regulate an entity who has that individual's information even though he lives in Canada and a Canadian company has to think about GDPR if they have data from EU subjects even though they're not in the EU and maybe even if they don't actually try very hard to get customers from the EU, So that's a big one. Um, In the United States, we have this sectoral model, which means that your regulators are gonna depend on what you do. I mentioned HIPAA, Um, uh, the Office of Civil Rights is the regulator for
2: HIPAA.
1: Mm. Um, But the FTC is more generally the regulator for uh, most uh, privacy uh, uh, kinds of regulations. Um you know we have uh, uh, particular regulations in the financial industry yeah Yeah. Um, so you have to think about a whole different uh, a, a wider range of potential laws that may apply uh, uh depending on what it is you 're doing um, and I, I t- for me I think that the key ones the ones that are kind of setting the benchmark for uh you know what companies are doing uh it, First, the GDPR, uh, for those that have anything really that touches the EU, um, the CCPA, the California Consumer uh, Protection Act, is a very robust law, but similar to, but not the same as uh, the GDPR, that applies to consumers in California. Now, Because California has such a broad touch uh, uh, for commerce in the United States. Um, Many folks have just viewed that as, uh, you know, something that everybody has to do Everyone has to look at the CCPA compliance and has to be ready to respond to requests from the California authorities about their privacy program mm-hmm. um, But California is not the only one. New York uh, the Department of Financial Services has very picky uh, uh, Regulations and anybody in the financial space should be thinking about DFS
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, Now the assessments uh, are required by many of these regulatory schemes, most notably the, the GDPR. I, I think they're just a, a thing that everybody should be doing uh, quarterly or not less than annually. Um, most folks, I think, do it quarterly now. But uh, I, an assessment allows you to re-look at each one, uh, one element of your security program in the context of today. and. When you do that, it, it creates a regulatory record and, 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 uh, that shows that you're focused on these issues. And it, in fact, focuses the company on these issues. So the, the extent they're, they're, they're really slipping off you know, what their peers are doing, um, the assessment gives you an opportunity to get back on track. And I would also say, I think, the right people to do an assessment, uh, I mean, putting aside the quarterly ones, but it, you really want a third party to come in to look at these things. That doesn't mean they need to, to build it from scratch, but uh, uh, both on a technical side, and I think on a legal compliance side, particularly for a company with uh, you know lots of consumer information, um, you know, having that third set of eyes come in to look at what you're doing, uh, provides a huge amount of value, and allows the people there who may have a, a, a sort of a tunnel view of what they've been doing. You know, it hasn't been broken, so we don't need to fix it, we don't need to do anything, it's okay. Uh, it breaks through that and, and allows them, I think, to uh, 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 be open to changes that may need to be made to reflect the current environment, and particularly now with this, you know, radically different current
0: environment. Yeah, well, um, the time now, how how long it's going to extend into, we don't know. We, we obviously know that some states, um, we have to, we're still going to be indoors for a little while longer. Mm-hmm. I wish we could talk a bit more, David. This is all fascinating stuff. Um, but I will ask, in passing as we, as we end here, because time is short, you know, a few more weeks indoors, um, more of these attacks we're going to hear about, I'm sure. But as companies, as we've mentioned, they look at their own continuity of business. They're looking at their own liquidity situations. You're, you're passing thoughts, sir, on how integral cybersecurity plans, assessments um, anything in-house that they must be doing to, to just prevent all of this, how integral, where would you rank it in and amongst everything that they have to think about right now? I, I think it's near, I
1: mean, it's near the top. I mean, I, I, I certainly right. wouldn't say it, it's the top, and I know there are many, many considerations that people are, are uh, having in their minds, uh, not least you know health considerations. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I, because this is a brave new world, if they're not thinking about it uh, and they're not focused on it, uh, uh, they will find very quickly things can get uh, very bad. Uh, you know, I point out in the man in the middle scenario, uh, you know, every what is the biggest wire that goes out of your company? You know, think about that. How do you like to lose that? <laughs> that could be a very, very big number and you could lose it in the blink of an eye.
0: Yeah. Do you think the private equity um industry sector have been quite um cyber ready um you know keeping it broad because uh, it is a private equity audience that we're talking to here they've been quite um clued up on all this stuff for themselves i think they're getting there
1: yeah i think that it, it's evolving um but uh, uh you know when when we do talk to uh uh the companies and then and then report back to investors and so forth um you, know, you find that the cyber questions are expanding uh, almost as a ratchet it just ratchets up more and more and more um, so they, they you know the investors want to know what's going on in these in these companies they want to know what the risks might be uh, that's another reason why I think these assessments are useful um, you know if you, if you are running a company and uh, an investor wants to talk to you about uh, your company and and you want to give them a sense that uh you've taken these issues seriously, and you know this would be a company that would stand the test of time in terms of security um you know showing that you've brought in outside uh, experts to look at that uh, i think is is very compelling you know when i when I'm talking to an investor I'm like you know i i, I was Pleased by the fact that they brought in both PWT and uh, the following uh, 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 you know, the compliance expert to make sure that their privacy and security program was really up to snuff.
2: Yeah,
1: um, you know that uh, they, that that means something to them, and and frequently it's it's a challenge for for the private equity investor uh, to understand some of the technical things, and you want to be able to find ways to communicate to that audience uh, uh, that you've been a good citizen. And and uh, I think the assessments are a really good way to do that.
0: Yeah. Are, th- are you finding there are some industries out there that uh, are more cyber aware than others? Are there in, just in terms of best practice? Are there some sectors that just uh, are just better at it?
1: Um, yes. Well, the the uh, healthcare, for example, is very good. Um, you know, the 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 rules are very clear, um, and uh, I, you know, it's it, it's almost unimaginable that you know a company could get going seriously in the healthcare space. Without paying a lot of attention to data privacy, mm.
2: um,
1: other sectors, I would say, it's, you know, the regulations aren't as clear, um, and it, you know, it can be the wild west. Um, but uh, that's not to say that there aren't healthcare companies having big data breach incidents, and you know, the hackers uh, are, are are good. You know, they uh, are very uh, focused on how to trick people, and uh, um, you know, the only thing, the only solution is you know, continuing
0: vigilance. It's just, it really is just unbelievable. Some of these organizations that are out there to help us, especially governmental, municipal, whoever they may be that are supposed to be helping us in these times, we're hearing about them being hacked worldwide. It,
1: yes, it, indeed. I was really saddened to hear about the uh, Italian um, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. The hackers trying to shut down the Italian social services. The, the, the very people that are sending out the checks uh, to the suffering Italian citizens uh, were hacked. And uh, uh, they're trying to shut that. I mean, I, I believe actively even now trying to shut that site down uh, with an eye towards saying, well, we'll stop if you send us a bunch of money.
0: Yeah, if that doesn't resonate to our listeners, those listening in, then then what will? Any any last thoughts, David? I know you've covered a lot there. It's very extensive, a lot of great tidbits. Final thoughts on on, on this issue and, and how secure we, we really should be, because we're going to be home for a few more weeks yet.
1: Yeah, my, my final thought would be: take care and carefully think before you act. When somebody tells you something in an email or over the phone, and you haven't seen that person and you don't know for sure, uh, don't worry about being rude. Ask the questions. Call the person. Speak with them directly. Do things to confirm and authenticate uh, uh, your activities uh, before it's too late and you can't undo it.
0: And let's hope people remain 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 cyber just isn't the big glitch <laughs> the big thunderbolt that we all needed yes, to do lots that was the disc yeah <laughs> lots of different veritable things all right david thank you so so much it's been very enjoyable and uh um,
1: right, thank you
0: yeah no, it's been great and to our listeners out there you've, you've heard it here be secure because we're in home uh, indoors for, for a while yet cheers david thanks very cheers, much Vic. thank you take bye take care